This program is presented by Birch Gold Group, the precious metal IRA specialists. Good morning. In today's headlines, former President Trump's attorney predicts a motion to dismiss in the grand jury indictment. Find out his reasons and what's known so far about tomorrow's unprecedented arraignment. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis calls out the agenda he says leftists are imposing on the U.S. society. DeSantis discussed that and more at a Pennsylvania leadership conference. President Biden declares a major disaster in Arkansas as violent storms and tornadoes devastate the South and Midwest. We have the details. A prominent war blogger was killed in an explosion in St. Petersburg on Sunday. A woman was detained by Russian police in connection to the blast. And then the story of a lieutenant colonel who says faith gave him the strength to pull through a deployment that seemed hopeless. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. Good morning. I'm Evelyn Lee. Today's Monday, April 3rd, and it's going to be a bit of a hectic start to the week in New York. Former President Trump will be the first former president in U.S. history to be arrested. That's scheduled to take place tomorrow in Manhattan. This is an unprecedented case, so it's not exactly clear how this will play out. The logistics are complicated with the Secret Service making the preparations. Now, normal procedures would have Trump surrender at the DA's office for booking. He would then be fingerprinted, have his mugshot taken, and be read his Miranda rights. He would then be arraigned at a courtroom in the same building. A copy of the indictment with details revealing this charges uh, would be given to his defense team. Here's NTD's Jeremy Sandberg with more on what we know so far. Trump said on Truth Social he will be leaving Mar-a-Lago at noon Monday and heading up the Trump Tower in New York. The former president is expected to arrive at the Manhattan Courthouse Tuesday morning at 11 o'clock a.m. local time. His arraignment is scheduled for 2.15 p.m. Streets around the courthouse will be locked down with a heavy NYPD and Secret Service presence. A Manhattan grand jury voted to indict Trump on Thursday last week. The exact charges are unknown as the indictment is still sealed. Two sources familiar with the matter told the Associated Press he is facing multiple charges of falsifying business records, including at least one felony offense. They spoke on condition of anonymity to discuss information that is not yet public. Former U.S. Attorney General Bill Barr says from a legal standpoint, the case against Trump seems pathetically weak. It's the uh, archetypal uh, abuse of the prosecutorial function to engage in uh, a political hit job and uh, it's a disgrace. Trump denies any wrongdoing and says he's the victim of extortion. Trump's lawyer, Joe Tacopina, says Tuesday is just the beginning. He says he will dissect the indictment once he gets it and devise the next legal steps. A judge could issue a gag order to stop Trump from talking about the case. It could bring fines and jail time if he breaks silence. Trump could appeal the order if he feels it's interfering with his ability to inform voters. The 2024 presidential candidate is set to deliver remarks Tuesday night in Florida at Mar-a-Lago following the arraignment. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Trump's speech at Mar-a-Lago tomorrow night is scheduled to start at 8.15 p.m. Eastern Time. Trump supporters are planning a welcome home rally in front of Trump Tower in Manhattan this morning at 11 o'clock. We'll have more on that on NTD News today at 12 p.m. Eastern Time. And Trump's lawyer, Joe Topekina, says the one thing that is clear about Tuesday is they will be pleading not guilty. 
He says they're looking to challenge every potential issue once the indictment is unsealed. He also says he anticipates a motion to dismiss is coming. Here's Tapakina on CNN yesterday. I honestly don't know how this is going to go. Hopefully as smoothly as possible, and then we begin the uh, the battle to right this wrong because it's a it's a really it's a day that, in my opinion, the rule of law in the United States has died. There's no law that fits this. And you have a situation where you know the federal government, the Department of Justice, turned this matter down. Um, the FEC, which governs uh, federal election uh, laws, said there's no violation here. Yet somehow a state prosecutor has taken a a misdemeanor and tried cobbled together to make it a felony by alleging a violation of federal federal uh, campaign violations. And the FEC said it doesn't exist. This is a case of political persecution. Had he not been running for office right now, for the office of the presidency, which, by the way, the polls have shown since this has been announced, his numbers have gone up significantly. Had he not been running for presidency, he would not have been indicted. Had he been John Smith, there's no scenario where he'd been indicted. Takapina says he believes people on both sides of the aisle agree the prosecution is an abuse of power. He says he's looking forward to moving things along as quickly as possible to exonerate Trump. He stated he has no reason to believe the judge holds any bias towards his client. Trump's campaign says it raised over $4 million in the first 24 hours after news broke of his indictment. Over a quarter of that was from first-time donors. Another million dollars was raised the next day. And Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene and the New York Young Republican Club are hosting a Trump rally in New York at noon Tuesday. It's being held at Collect Pond Park. And today we'll have live coverage of events and analysis on Trump's case tomorrow morning. That starts at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time. We'll be live outside the Manhattan Courthouse, so don't forget to tune in. That's at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time Tuesday. And now we're bringing in a seasoned law enforcement officer and a U.S. veteran who served in the Vietnam War and the Global War on Terror for some perspective on this. New Jersey Police Lieutenant Stephen Rogers, great to have you with us today. Well, my pleasure. Thank you. Congressman Andrew Harris of Maryland referred to Trump's indictment and said, we live in a third world banana republic where the justice system is weaponized against political opponents. What's your reaction to this? Well, in this case, I believe it was. But saying that, uh, I, I could tell you, Kevin, I would, li- would have liked to see the Department of Justice, or in this case, the DA, be more prudent in how they're uh, uh, moving forward. And to have uh, President Trump come to New York was unnecessary. Uh, look, during the COVID crisis, there were trials that were uh, via Internet. So they could have done all of this via the Internet, and we wouldn't have the expense that the city of New York is going to have to uh, uh, take with regard to the security measures. Uh, we also need this, and I've said this all along. When I get around the country uh, and people are talking about this, they want to see the temperature lowered. Whether you're Democrat or Republican, they're looking for leaders to step up. Let's lower the temperature. Let's not make this a situation where we bring much more harm to our country. So, yeah, it, it, it seems to me and others as a political hit on Donald Trump. But saying that, let the process work. Let it go through. It will probably go to trial. And at the end of the day, let's hope things work out for the good of America more than anything else. A little bit of national healing can go a long way. What do we expect to happen in New York City on Tuesday during the arraignment? And has the NYPD done enough to prepare? Oh, listen, you've got the uh, finest New York, the finest police department in the, in the country, if, if not the world. Uh, they have been gathering uh, intelligence and information in conjunction with the FBI and other federal, state and local law enforcement agencies. So they're ready for anything. But again, uh, as I said earlier, probably the most important thing now 
is for our leaders on both sides to get on TV tonight, tomorrow, and say, look, it's okay. Go protest, go rally. You have the right to assemble, but make sure things don't get out of hand and make sure that there's no violence. That is very, very important for the good of this country. Yes, peaceful protesting is okay. And if there is an there's an indictment here, we'll see if there's a conviction. Either way, how do you see this affecting the presidential election? Well, I've got to tell you, it's given uh, Donald Trump uh, quite a boost in the polls. People are angry. Uh, they're angry at this whole process. They're angry at the way this is unfolding. Uh, this has become a Broadway show, uh, and, and, and it should have never come to this. As I said, all this could have been avoided if the DA, number one, didn't indict him. Uh, but now that he's indicted him, why not do this over the Internet? You wouldn't have to have all the security measures. You wouldn't have to have more division in the country. we got to move forward to unite the country, and hopefully uh, we'll be able to do that as we, in fact, move forward. Lieutenant Rogers, supporters of the indictment say Trump must be held accountable for allegedly falsifying business records, even though that charge is less severe than what's involved in Trump's Georgia probe over the election. What's your take on this? Look, I've been involved in politics most of my adult life, and these things go on day in and day out with political office holders. I don't see where he is any different than anyone in the Congress or the Senate or wherever they're elected with regard to how uh, politics is. I don't believe he tried to pay anybody off. Uh, I believe, as I said, this is politics as usual. No crime was committed. Look, the FEC and federal DOJ rejected a lot of these charges that the DA in New York decided to move forward. So once again, this is why it's being called more of a political hit than anything else. And, and hopefully it'll come out at the end of the day that he did not commit a crime, and then we'll have to deal with the DA moving forward. A lot of concerns that this is political. New Jersey Police Lieutenant Stephen Rogers, thank you so much for your analysis. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson is throwing his hat into the 2024 presidential race. The announcement makes him the fourth major Republican candidate to make their run official. Hutchinson says former President Donald Trump should withdraw from the 2024 race. The former governor has been highly critical of Trump. Hutchinson ended his tenure as Arkansas's governor in January as he was limited from seeking a third term in office. In 2021, he drew heat from Republican state lawmakers for vetoing a bill. The focus was blocking minors from getting cross-sex drugs like puberty blockers and hormones. Hutchinson says states should stay out of decisions made by parents and health care professionals. Arkansas lawmakers overrode the governor's veto. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis says the stakes are high in the 2024 election. The Republican governor highlighted his vision for the nation at a Pennsylvania leadership conference on Saturday. And today's Daniel Monahan brings us more. DeSantis says a left-wing agenda is being imposed on U.S. society. He singled out education, corporate America, and the media. The Florida governor highlighted his state's success in fighting against the so-called woke mob. He predicts that if the Democratic Party is successful in 2024, it will try to pack the Supreme Court, abolish the Electoral College, and make Washington, D.C. a state to gain Democrat senators. The Florida governor painted a picture of struggle and sacrifice. Leadership's not cost-free. When you step out, it could be a governor like me. It could be a mother who just goes to a school board meeting who's concerned with going on. They're going to come after you. Uh, they're going to attack you, and you're going to have to make those sacrifices if you want to save our country. DeSantis says a battle lies ahead for conservatives. This is a responsibility that we as conservatives have at this time in our history. It's not something that we should shrink from. It's something that we should welcome. We need to be strong. We need to hold the line. 
and we can never ever back down. And alluded to a divine origin of the nation's birth. After all, we believe in the founding creed of this country that our rights do not come from government, they come from the hand of Almighty God. Karen Bosco was at the conference. She discussed potential presidential candidates for 2024. Bosco says personal attacks rub her the wrong way and prefers for presidential hopefuls to stay on message. I look for someone who's willing to fight, especially when it's not convenient to do so, fight for the issues. Todd Kiefer is rooting for candidate Vivek Ramaswamy. He doesn't expect him to win the Republican nomination, but is glad he's running. Kiefer says Ramaswamy understands the issues of surrendering sovereignty to so-called global elitists meeting in Davos. Brilliantly spinning up ESG as the enforcement mechanism to push the entire world to their agenda. The Pennsylvania Leadership Conference was established in 1989 by a group of conservative activists. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. DeSantis is on a book tour, and he was in New York on Saturday night. You can find a live stream of both events on NTD's website. And coming up, the deadly tornadoes in the South and Midwest claim the lives of at least 32 people over the weekend. Now residents are assessing damaged property and picking up the pieces. An explosion in St. Petersburg kills a prominent Russian war blogger. Russian police have detained a woman in connection to the blast. Stay with us to find out more. Welcome back. Moving over to energy prices. Oil prices are surging upwards today after Saudi Arabia and other OPEC Plus producers announced a surprise cut in production targets. The move rippled through stock markets and boosted the dollar. Prices for Brent jumped about 5% to around $84 a barrel, while U.S. crude also leapt up nearly 6% to just under 80 bucks a barrel. The Biden administration called the production cuts inadvisable. The cuts follow a slump in oil prices in the first three months of the year. Brent fell last month towards $70 a barrel, the lowest price in 15 months. Violent storms in the U.S. over the weekend claimed the lives of at least 32 people in the South and Midwest. Dozens of tornadoes left residents assessing the damage and picking up the pieces. Here's the story. I guess that's our roof. In Arkansas, where at least five people were killed, according to officials, 80-year-old Jane Smith gave Reuters a walkthrough of what was left of her home. The back of the house, fortunately, one section is still there, so we spent the night in that section of the house. Last night, no water, no gas, no electricity, but at least it was warm enough. President Joe Biden declared a major disaster in Arkansas on Sunday, ordering federal aid to help with the recovery. In Tennessee, the Department of Health confirmed seven weather-related deaths near the Mississippi border. Officials reported four deaths in Illinois, including one in Belvedere, where a 50-year-old man died at a concert after the theater's roof collapsed, which left another 40 people injured. Jessica Bayana Hernandez was at the concert featuring the heavy metal group Morbid Angel. The lights go out, I hear noise, everything crashes down, which is the ceiling. And I thought like the tornado hit. I honestly don't know the logistics of it or anything like that. And it was, it was scary because like my first thought when I saw it was more, 
that literally could have been me. Officials also reported deaths in Indiana, Mississippi, and Alabama. One person was killed in Delaware, according to an ABC News affiliate, after a line of powerful storms tore through the region on Saturday night. The National Storm Prediction Center warned of severe weather on Sunday in parts of Texas around Dallas and Fort Worth, including a, quote, strong tornado or two. The Storm Prediction Center also forecast severe weather for Tuesday in much of the Midwest between Chicago and Little Rock. Can you believe it? Another train derailment, this time in Montana. At least 25 freight train cars derailed Sunday morning. Authorities say the train derailed on the banks of the Clark Fork River in Sanders County, about 200 miles northwest of Bozeman. A county sheriff's office dispatcher said there did not appear to be any hazardous materials on board, and there have been no injuries reported. Responders with the county's fire department are on the scene. It's unclear at this point what caused the derailment. Over over in Russia, a well-known Russian military blogger was killed by a bomb blast in St. Petersburg Cafe yesterday. One woman has been detained as a suspect in the attack, which also wounded more than two dozen people. The incident is what appears to be the second assassination on Russian soil of a figure related to the war in Ukraine. And today's cost Temenes has more on the story. Security was tied outside a St. Petersburg cafe where the explosion occurred, which killed prominent war blogger Vladen Tatarsky. The bomb was reportedly hidden in a miniature statue that was handed to Tatarsky as he addressed a group of people in the cafe. A woman who has been identified as Daria Trepova has been detained as a suspect. According to court records cited by Russian state media, Trepova was arrested in March last year for participating in an anti-war protest. Trepova is the wife of a prominent member of Russia's Libertarian Party. The organization denied that Trepova has any involvement with the party. 25 people were injured in the blast, 19 of whom were hospitalized. Tatarsky, whose real name was Maxim Fomin, had more than half a million followers on Telegram. He was one of Russia's most prominent and influential military bloggers, who despite having hailed Russia's war effort in Ukraine, was often critical of Russia's top military brass. The attack is likely the second assassination of a prominent Russian figure related to the war effort in Ukraine. In August last year, the daughter of a Russian ultranationalist was killed in a car bomb attack near Moscow. Kostemines. NTD News. And after the break, the story of a lieutenant colonel who says faith gave him the strength to pull through a deployment that seemed hopeless. That and more after the break. Welcome back. Next, we have the story of a lieutenant colonel. He went into his fifth deployment in 2012, not knowing whether he would make it home to his wife and daughter. His story begins with a situation that made him doubt whether he would make it through the next day. And he tells us how he was able to pull through. Yeah, it was a, a pretty tough mission. We had a, a company operation where we were going into uh, enemy territory. And throughout the course of the morning, we took to what we call mass cows or mass casualty situations. And by the end of the first night, uh, when I said that uh, Afghanistan had knocked me down, it was a radio call that I made that evening to my battalion commander, knowing that we had 
about two dozen people less uh, on the mission than what we had when we started that morning. Uh, not, not all were killed, many were wounded, um, but it was a realization at the time that we were in a, a pretty tough situation and uh, one that I think was uh, incredibly difficult to sort through uh, for the first 24 hours. What helped you to actually keep going and pull through? So I, as, a, as a Christian, uh, I relied upon my faith in the moment. Um, I, I said a prayer after I made the radio call, and the important thing was to, to understand that God had put me in that situation, and I, I just felt at peace. Uh, I, I didn't know what was going to happen the next day, but I just had to put my trust in Him. And so pressing on uh, and not, not backing down, not quitting, um, was a mantra that I had taken on. And um, I just knew that I was never alone, that I was walking through literally the, the valley of the shadow of death. Um, but in that time period, I knew that I was armed with the right capabilities. And, and I knew that I was also um, not by myself uh, as I stepped off the next day with my company. And so does that mean you, by keeping your faith in that moment, you knew that everything is going to be all right in the end? Or was it more of a, you know, acceptance of no matter what happens, it's, it's all right? Or how can I, how can I understand that? Uh, honestly, I think it was both. Um, you know, knowing, knowing that you're never alone, uh, it, it just gives you a sense of peace and a sense of calm that sometimes I think folks are, are lacking. Um, one of the things I talk about with, with folks when I share my faith, especially in the military, uh, there's, there's an old poem called Invictus. And uh, one of the key aspects of the poem, it talks about being the master of your fate and the captain of your soul. And I more subscribe to the anti-Invictus mentality because eventually you'll realize that you aren't in co control of everything within your situation. And so, um, you know, false gods, false uh, hope, false trust in things to include yourself, uh, eventually in situations like that, you culminate, uh, which is why I think uh, spiritual wellness and faith is so important. And do you, how do you handle those big challenges now that come your way? Does it get any easier? I, I think it, it gets easier in the sense that as you develop a, a closer walk with Christ, you can understand a little bit more. And, and I, I believe that God only gives us enough that we can handle, right? And, and so in life, uh, we're, we're handed trials by God to uh, de develop ourselves. Um, I call it a forged pursuit. Uh, it, it is, we, we get hardened and we get tougher by going through a fire. And uh, as long as we come out on the other end uh, by relying on our faith, it makes us stronger. Um, and and I, I don't think that anybody goes through life uh, where they, they reach the pinnacle. Um, there's always tragedy and, and unchosen suffering in life and, and the things that I think help you you know, make make it through those things. Our reliance on God, reliance on faith, um, because you have to trust in Him. And uh, you know, my wife always says to to um, to trust in Him is how you receive true rest. Hmm. Lots of profound words today. So thank you so much, Lieutenant Colonel Mike Kelvington. I really appreciate your time.
Thank you, ma'am. I appreciate it. This was a short outtake from the full interview. You can hear more details of that deployment online at NTD.com. Strength through faith, that is really inspiring. So now we have another story for you. The Eiffel Tower in Paris has a new companion. A French artist has created a replica of the iconic monument. The miniature tower named Eiffella was mounted overnight and unveiled on April Fool's Day. It stands right across from the original at a height of around 100 feet and weighing over 20 tons. The idea came from events creator Philippe Mondron, who said it took a year to complete the project. Eiffella is one-tenth the size of the original and is constructed in scale. The replica is composed of nearly 4,000 large pieces and 9,000 smaller metallic pieces. Depending on where one stands, a trompe l'oeil effect can be achieved, at which both towers can appear to be the same size. In keeping with the artist's idea of a baby Eiffel, the sound of a baby crying emanates from Eiffella every 10 minutes, followed by a soothing lullaby and a comforting voice. I love cool. this idea. I know, yeah, what a great idea to put the two together like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now I want to go see it. Yeah. <laughs> and don't you speak some French? How was my pronunciation, anyway? Oh, I would, I would not be the one to ask. I, I had a French in school for two years, but I learned nothing. So. Oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> all right. a lot away there. Let's not dwell on that. <laughs> That's all for today's program. We'd love to hear from you. Shoot us an email at goodmorning at ntd.com if you'd like. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.